you're listening to the Degrees of Freedom podcast. Conversations about higher education in the 21st century between students and teachers. Produced at the University of Groningen. Welcome to another episode of Degrees of Freedom. I'm Tasso Sarampolis. I teach psychology at the University of Groningen and together with my co-host Amy O'Connell. We are going to be talking about entrepreneurship during university years. We're going to talk about how businesses start, how a student can start a business, or indeed um, a staff member at a university can start a business. And we're joined with our two guests, um, both on uh, different aspects of entrepreneurship. Um, our first guest is Fad Reis, who um, studied his master's here in Groningen and at the same time started a business, which is quite impressive all in all. And also um, joined with Anik Awendach, who is working at Venture Lab, which is installed also in the University of Groningen, which helps students uh, who want to start an initiative or a business um, sort of pick that up and guides them along their way. Yeah, welcome to, to both of you. Fad, I'm going to start immediately with you. I want to hear about your story about studying at university and starting a business. And- yeah, so I started my university degree here in 2019, and I I just graduated doing my MSc business administration for small business and entrepreneurship. So yeah, basically after arriving here in the Netherlands, the Netherlands was one of my few options in terms of universities that I wanted to go to. I was really looking forward to coming here. After landing here, one of the first few things that I did, because being the person that I am who likes a lot of food, I opened up Thais Bazaar, the Uber Eats, and you know, most of the options that I kept looking up was always see from the perspective of a very, very broke student. And I I could see, okay, you know what, if I want a half decent meal here, I'm spending about 20, 25 euros of my own money on this one particular meal. If I, if I wasn't spending that money, I just realized the food is pretty shit. So just overall, it was just generally not very impressed with anything. And I thought maybe, you know, there's an opportunity over here. Uh, within the first month of while I was staying here, my mother came and visited me. She spent about two weeks with me. And my mom, being the explorer that she was, you know, she just needs a bus pass and she was traveling around the city. Then I remember her coming home one day from after exploring the city a little bit. And she's like, do you know the food's pretty shit here? I was like, yes, I know. And she's like, you know, there's people don't have to spend a lot of money to eat well. And that's a very firm belief that we have in particular in India. So, you know, we don't believe that you need to use really expensive ingredients to make a good food. You can use simple ingredients and still make the food taste really, really great. And coming from an Islamic family, uh, you know, most of our time was spent indulging in food. There's not nothing else, not too many other things to indulge in. So uh, I did what I did with my mom called, uh, was a food boot camp, which I did for about the second week she was here. So it was waking up uh, early in the morning, three times a day, not even joking, eating rice. I learned, perfected my mom's recipes, got all her tips and techniques. And then from that point onwards, after she left, that's when I decided to do my own little bit of marketing and research. So this also ended up being my way of socializing with people. So I started inviting people home. All I told them was that, hey, I'm cooking some food. You're a student. You definitely would not say no to free food. Eat my food and just tell me what you think about it. So I did that for about a good two to three months. And all I asked people was, like I said, when you finish your food, just give me five to 10 minutes of your time. Just want to ask you a few questions and that's about it. So I did that for a bit. I managed to gauge how often people would like to eat meals like this, how much they were willing to spend on this. And after sort of gaining and gathering all the information and data is when I finally officially launched it. It was called uh, Curry Me. It's called Curry Me right now. Actually, we were initially called Curry in a hurry, but uh, (laughs) 
which I thought had a nice ring to the name, but unfortunately we had to change the names because apparently taken by someone else already. Uh, so yeah, so that's how I started Curry Me. Initially, I think as a student, I was pretty nervous generally about starting my own business, being an expat over here as well, because I'm not from the Netherlands or not from the EU as well. There are a lot of restrictions on how I work. So one of the main things I realized was that as a student over here, uh, being an international, you're allowed about 16 hours a week. But the exception to the rule is that if you run your own business, there's no limitation on the number of hours you put into it. So that was another thing for me. I thought that was great. That's how it started and that's how it's been going. At our peak, we were doing about uh, 100 meals a week, all from my home kitchen as well. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. It kept me very busy during university. I really, really enjoyed it. I enjoy food overall, so it was a good experience. From my side, I, one thing I can connect with is mm -hmm. this desire to eat good food yeah. and uh, also this uh, understanding that good food doesn't have to cost a lot of money. I yeah. come from Greece and yeah. uh, the philosophy is very similar. Mm -hmm. But the other thing I found interesting in the story that you just shared with us is you described, I, I don't know a lot about marketing and starting mm -hmm. a business, but in hearing your story, mm -hmm. I heard a lot of things that made me think these seem very structured ways of mm -hmm. starting a business, developing a business plan. And Anique, from what I understand, this is exactly what Venture Lab is supposed to do to help you pick up your business ideas, develop them. So uh, can you tell us something more about this and perhaps also link it with uh, Fad's story? Sure, sure, I can. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting to see uh, actually that what Fad did is, is very much by the book. He had, a, he had a problem. He started to test with people around him if the solution that he maybe had uh, was feasible. He collected feedback, maybe tweaked the recipes a bit based on that feedback because, I mean, Dutch palate is not um, <laughs> very well established, I would say, and then went from there. Uh, and that's actually exactly what, what developing a business plan means. You, you encounter a problem or you see a need for something in your own life or as somebody in your surroundings or in the wider world. And then you think of a solution to solve that problem. And then you need to go figure out if that's actually a solution for more than just you. Because if you develop a solution that just for you, that that's not a business. And that's actually what we help with. Because if you just have an idea, then you don't have a company. So we help uh, would-be entrepreneurs validate their problem, validate their business idea, uh, see if there is a market, and then from there in a year, help them to write a, a proper business plan, either for themselves or for investors. If it's, a, if it's more a deep tech idea that you need a lot of money for to develop further, then you need to have a solid business plan. So we, we try our best to help establish these businesses. And Fad clearly doesn't need our help because he's doing it <laughs> naturally. Well, you say that, um, and at the same time, it it was funny as we were uh, just starting setting things up for this podcast. Mm -hmm. We realized that that you had in fact spoken with each other uh, at some point in the beginnings of the development of uh, Curry Me. Is that right? Uh, it wasn't at the beginnings. It was actually towards the end of my master's course. We mm -hmm. had a, something known as a startup safari. Oh yeah. And they took us for. It was actually essentially just one lecture which we had with Venture Lab North at. Uh, uh, at their campus, I think, which is just off the Zernika campus as well. So we got to, I think they, Anik was there actually talking as well, I remember. And there was also uh, Uru Muscles. Uh, yeah, Uru Muscles. Uru yeah. Muscles, yeah. They which were is a really interesting case. That's uh, two entrepreneurs who 
learned about the Venture Lab North program. Mm-hmm. They were uh, they're American. They were U.S. based, and they came to Groningen from the states, I, yeah, from the states, the places, yeah. uh, <laughs> to, to come here to set up their business. Mm-hmm. And that was that was the moment I decided I should retire because I'm never gonna, <laughs> I'm, ne- I'm not gonna top that. Well, now you're on a podcast, then, and there so you that's, go. Uh, <laughs> that's another milestone. <laughs> and what was their business? They have developed sensors to measure muscle activity. Um, specifically for athletes so that you can really see the exercises that you're doing if they're activating the right muscles and and that helps prevent uh, injuries for example if if you know that certain muscles are not working uh, then you can specifically train on that so then Anik I was wondering about Venture Lab who is it mainly targeted for um, as it is within the university in in general anybody with an idea could come but uh, we're mainly focused on on university students and staff and if you have a good idea and you're motivated and you're willing to spend a year with us because the program is a year long uh, then you're you're most welcome to join the the passion for us is the the biggest thing i'm not an expert in anything so so we do not necessarily judge if an idea is going to be successful because you can you can't tell especially in the early early stages and we're we're here to help see if it is a possibility and if it's not a possibility to help uh, the entrepreneur pivot to what is a possibility because you're you're going to fail like not everything is going to be a success but failure is learning so that's why we don't say oh your idea is never going to make it mm. uh, if you're really really motivated then then we gladly welcome you to the program yeah it's a very nice initiative i think and i'm also just wondering um, out of curiosity and um, what the day to day is like what the week is like how do you work with these people and support them just on a yeah a daily basis yeah, for sure. example um well it, fridays are venture lab fridays so it's one day a week and then there's workshops both in the morning and the afternoon and that's that's on any topic really that we looked at that is helpful uh, for setting up your business and developing your business plan so that goes from actually ideation thinking about your idea and working that out further to marketing uh, and at the end of the year having uh, investment readiness uh, workshops to see what it how do you pitch to an investor like pitching your idea is one thing but specifically pitching to ask for two, three million euros is, is of course a whole different beast than just saying oh I, I've noticed this problem and I have a great idea um, so we, we cover all that in a year very, very important and very popular is we serve lunch between the morning and the <laughs> afternoon workshops because entrepreneurs need to put all their money into their company. So at least once a week we feed them. There's a good uh, delivery company that makes yeah, very good food. Yeah. I, we just heard. Cle- I just heard clearly, clearly, well. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just heard about it as well. <laughs> you, you need to start promoting uh, with us. And and then three times a year we have uh, like progression presentations and we invite people from the ecosystem where the entrepreneurs can present uh, what they're doing uh, and and that's uh, usually a soft introduction to investors or business developers just people from the ecosystem who who can help the entrepreneurs progress and because the the most time consuming thing as an entrepreneur is to develop your network mm-hmm. you need other people you need mm-hmm. to know people who know people and if like it took me 2 years when i started my job to establish my network if i can help the entrepreneurs double their network within a year and know all the relevant people, then then I think we've done a good job. It's very nice. I was also just wondering about communities of entrepreneurs. Is that quite a, a big thing within the university or within Venture Lab? Or how does that work exactly like networking with people? I would say within the university, it's not necessarily that there is an entrepreneurship community that exists, at least not one I really know of. 
I know there are several initiatives like with student associations who do things about entrepreneurship. Um, within Venture Lab, uh, I always say when the new group starts, welcome to the mafia. <laughs> like we're, we're a family that once you're in, you're in and there is just no way out. <laughs> but I think that's, that's very important because I like to see the entrepreneurs who've been through the program to also come back with us after they left the program. And some come back to coach in our program, some give workshops, um, some in these presentations they come back. Uh, they're always available for our current participants, so so that's a really strong uh, community. Uh, but also in Groningen, I think we're in a we're in a very particular entrepreneurship bubble uh, because we're we're six hours away from Amsterdam. If you ask anybody from Amsterdam, <laughs> um, we're very 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 far away from everything, and and that makes that the entrepreneurship uh, ecosystem actually everybody is very willing to help everybody, and the lines are very short. So if you know a few people, then you have access to entire to the entire ecosystem, which is completely different from, from the rest of the country where it, like Amsterdam ecosystem is huge, mm -hmm. but you never know everybody. No. Yeah. Um, so then it becomes very hard to find the right people. And in Groningen, everybody's willing to help each other. So it, you're never more than one phone call away from the right people. So this is a good place for- It's absolutely a good place, yeah. And to understand this clearly, all students can uh, participate or uh, take advantage of the services of Venture Lab through their studies. Absolutely, we don't we don't care which faculty you're from, uh, as long as you're motivated, then then for sure. We'll add links to all of the information that you hear about in this podcast in the description of this podcast and in, uh, all the links to Karimi, of course, uh, but also Venture Lab North, where uh, Anika's helping student and staff entrepreneurs start their businesses. Maybe I can I can go back to Fad and ask, what were the first few days like after you've had your boot camp with your mother, and, um, learning how to make rice and learning how to perfect all her dishes, which you of course never perfect. You never perfect no, your no, mother's you dishes. Do. Mother's dishes never perfected. That, that's why I don't dare cook when I go back home. Everyone keeps telling me, hey, why didn't you cook for us? I'm like, no, come on, I'm not going to insult you all with my food. <laughs> <laughs> What were those first few days when you were actually starting out the business? You are first day of launching the business. What does what does that feel like? So uh, actually, as Anik mentioned, like networking as an entrepreneur is actually extremely difficult. And at that point, um, I was running the business completely by myself. So it was a little quiet and a little lonely, to be honest about it. You know, not necessarily not knowing too many people not having a very large customer base as well. So the first time I ever did deliveries, uh, and so the cooking, the marinating, the selling, entire process was going through me, even the delivery as well. So the first time I did deliveries, I remember I had done six meals and it was all by myself. I remember just pulling up in the middle of the city center, asking the people to come and collect it from there. So it was, it was very, very slow, but also I think what Anik mentioned is very true about the ecosystem here in Kharonia, in the sense that because it's, sort of, you know, away from the noise and the hustle and the bustle of Amsterdam, it gives you that opportunity to take your time, figure it out, make the mistakes that you need to make. I think it's I think it's really important to make mistakes because that's the only way you are gonna learn. I think Groningen was nice enough that way to me to allow me to make the mistakes, figure out things here and there, you know, understand what's important with the running of the business. Fortunately also, so I was only doing the business, uh, initially I was only doing it once a week because my priority still here was to complete my degree. And then I started doing deliveries twice a week on Wednesdays and Saturdays. And so sort of because of that, I, because everything wasn't running at a, you know, at its full pace, which I believe it, that it should be doing it. Uh, I was again, taking my time, you know, had a lot of time to test out stuff, you know, 
test out of, oh, if I use, maybe if I try to change the marketing or the words that I have put out for this week by highlighting this point, let's see how it reacts, how people react to it. Does this work a lot more better? And um, yeah, so I, I was very fortunate in that sense to uh, be given the cha the time and also more importantly, I think me giving my own self the time to sort of figure it out myself. So yeah, it was, it was a nice process. It was, it was very, very slow. Uh, then I think almost, uh, sometime early 2021, we got, had a sick, uh, we had an article in sitcom. Yeah. I think the, the words that they used was the spiritual father of curry is what they called me <laughs> on sitcom. That's one thing I won't forget, but it's very, very vividly remember. And when that article sort of came out and it was during the peak pandemic time as well, it was January, 2021, that was the time for almost, I think almost two or three months consistently we were doing about a hundred meals a week, which I was really happy about really great that it was happening at that pace. But you know, now things have changed. It's post COVID time. I think people are insisting that they want to go out somewhere, have an experience now when they eat food, they don't necessarily want to deliver it home all the time. So yeah, it's been, it's been an interesting journey since then, I would say. So timing is also very important for um, the success of a business is are university years good timing for somebody to start a business, you think? I would say yes. Of course, your your study needs to be your priority. And if you have a, a study that's that's very intensive, it, it may not work. If you're studying medicine, you also have to do your internships, which, mm -hmm. which isn't always easy to change around and set up a business. But in general, I would, I would say yes, because you have a little bit more freedom to experiment. You're not working 40 hours a week to make a living. So you also have you're you're a little bit more flexible with your time than than if you're just employed by a company if, if you have a nine to five job then it means you're working nights if you're setting up a business if you're a student in, instead of uh, netflixing around your lectures or you know you skip some studying then 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 you you can make it work a little easier and and also there's usually less pressure to bring in money so that's that's what we see with students as well which is really funny with minor students and there's a minor entrepreneurship that you can do and then they have to present their business case as well and it also comes with costs and and they do include some money for themselves but it's usually well if we if we spend we're with four people so if it's 1200 euros a month that that's just fine i'm like well that's that for four people, that that's not a lot of money to live off. It's like, yeah, but we don't need more. It's like, you will when you finish studies. Like when you're done with university, you're gonna need more money. So so I would say as a student, you have a little bit more freedom to, to play around with ideas and, and try it out. So why not? Do they also tend to be more adventurous with their ideas and more eager to, to find solutions or to identify problems around them? I think students are less risk averse maybe than than people who've been just in in working life a little bit longer uh, which i think is always good because being an entrepreneur is very risky students are very much in their own bubble so the problems they see are are more on a student level and less on a global problem level which isn't to say the solutions are bad or that they shouldn't happen but sometimes we try to tickle them a little bit to if this problem you're solving is a student problem, your market is also the student market, which is not the market with the most money available. So then you need to be really realistic, like how big is your market and can you live off this? Are you gonna make enough money? Because even if you have a non-profit company or you have a social enterprise, you're in the end of the day, you still need a roof over your head and, and some cheese on your bread. 
we're in the Netherlands, so it's a cheese sandwich <laughs> or a curry. Um, but for Dutch students, it's mostly a cheese sandwich. So you do need to always think about the money. Like, how are you going to make at least enough money to live off? That's, I think, where it's a little bit harder for students to, to make that change. Yeah, it's very interesting yeah. actually to hear. And I was also wondering then, Fad, when you started, were these things that you considered or did you <laughs> did you approach anyone for any advice at any point? Because from what I'm seeing, you had the marketing, you had the money, everything was maybe going through you as, as just one person. So how did you manage that? And did you have any help with it? Anik mentioning the fact that like students, when they start off their business, they're like, oh yeah, we don't need a lot of money made that mistake. But it wasn't with Kari Me. Uh, I've done other ideas and stuff I've had before. And and those ideas when I did it, it was I never really thought about the whole money factor, which I completely agree about. I think it's the, the most important thing is can you sustain yourself initially through this? And then yeah, okay, cool. Now let's see how you can sustain other people and stuff like that as well. So I when I initially started it off, it was by myself. I the, the only one good thing I could say. So for example, like when I wanted to register the business and I went to the Kavaka, the the Chamber of Commerce. They were actually surprisingly, they were very, very helpful. It's not something I'm used to going through bureaucracy outside of the Europe, I would say. They were very helpful. Like, you know, for example, when in my own application form, when I gave it to the lady who was sitting there, she explained all parts to me. She's like, do you understand why you put this in? Do you understand why you put this in? And at any point, even even if I said yes, she'll be like, okay, she, like, she would give me the explanation of the inverse, which is if I, what, hap what would happen to me if I marked it as a no. So the good thing with the, the Chamber of Commerce or even the Belastingdienst or any of these other authorities over here, they do tend to be very helpful. They're able to help you out with lots of information. When I registered the business, they gave me a nice thick, like, you know, booklet full of different bits of information to read up on and stuff like that. So all the information is there. It's available. It does take time to read, definitely. And the only drawback, I would say, the entire process is, of course, through bureaucracy. It's a little slow sometimes to get a response from someone, but they're always there to help you out. It, it, again, someone who is an international and not from the European Union as well, lots of times I was get very nervous about asking questions because I didn't know if I was crossing any lines that I wasn't supposed to. But fortunately, there's no such thing like that. The, the Netherlands was, I think, in terms of, I think, for entrepreneurs, it was uh, there's a index as to how difficult or how easy it is for you to start a business. The Netherlands was ranked fairly high in terms of how easy it was. But I think that's not the same for the entrepreneurial visa, though. I think I believe that's quite a challenge over here in the Netherlands. But to start up your own business here, fortunately, most of the authorities tend to have a lot of information available for you. And as obviously things went by and I started noticing that I had a core group of customers who were ordering from me regularly. And when I realized I wanted to expand from one day a week to twice a week, that's when I realized I wanted more people on uh, on board as well. So because the business was still only part-time, it's not like I could pay anyone anything full-time because I wasn't getting that myself as well. So most of the time it was a lot of expectation setting with anyone who did offer to help me out. I'd be like, hey, you know, so there isn't money in this business. You cannot live off of this. I can't live off of this at this point as well. So if you're coming in for the money, I'd say probably not the best place to do it. If you want, there are definitely other opportunities that you could look out for. Uh, but apart from that, if you're still willing to help out, then I can tell you what it is and how things go as well. So yeah, I managed to get my my most loyal customers into my business partners as well. So I got them on board as well and they've been helping me out. And right now we're about a team of six. And yeah, I think it's it, it was very helpful. I think it was somewhere I read up about like most startups and businesses and stuff obviously don't necessarily have the cash flow to be able to pay people. So the other way that you can do is get people, uh, give them a share of your company because that's something that they can get invested into and try to help out as well. So that was sort of the way how I went around that issue of not necessarily having money to pay people. 
and yeah as anik mentioned because we're students we don't necessarily think about oh yeah you know i need what the minimum wage a monthly salary here is about 1700 euros which is also just about takes care of everything and that's the minimum that you should be targeting when you start off any business i i believe as well for your own self as well that was something that obviously that was the, like the main challenge for me as well and which is why also right now i picked up a job to sort of sustain myself as well uh, to make sure there is regular money coming to me at least month on month as well so yeah i work as a salesperson for a it firm over here called uh, octopus it because i've done a lot of sales and stuff so that's how i've been sort of balancing it out so the hardest thing didn't seem to be the administrative side of starting a business but more the sustaining this or figuring out the viability of this business mm-hmm. what other things are the biggest challenges in having a new business what do you think are the biggest pitfalls having experienced this uh, anik from your side with many startups and fad with curry me you're going to get told your baby is ugly <laughs> a lot <laughs> Yeah. Um, your company is your baby it's, it's your child um you care about it deeply and then there's people going to have comments on on how ugly it is and everything that's wrong with it and and honestly you have to accept that because uh, there's a, a great book uh, called the mom test by um Robert Fitzpatrick if i'm correct it's it's a great book because that's that's when you're a mom with a newborn child everybody will say oh you have it's the cutest baby in the in, in the planet and and you will think you have the cutest baby on the planet yeah. <laughs> but but actually if if you would show a picture of a baby to complete strangers who have no relationship with it they might say well that's that's not the prettiest baby on the planet and and that's what you need to do with your company you need to talk about it with a lot of people but especially people outside of your own mm-hmm. circle because your mom will say oh this is the best idea ever and and oh i'm i'm so proud of you you're going to be so successful but a stranger in the street is going to say what do you what do you mean deliver curry to my home like yeah. <laughs> why would i order that mm-hmm. so you need to go out there and get feedback and that's going to hurt and what do you do with this feedback because it's one thing to hear fine i don't like this idea this is problematic how do you figure out how to solve this problem well you talk to a lot of people and then then you look at uh, what's what's the trend of the comments are more comments negative than positive uh, and then you need to look at what is viable to apply to my my solution that that i found and then you pivot your idea depending on the feedback that that you've got and you go talk to more people and more people you keep actually repeating the cycle and it's even when your products on the market right like i think the iphone is the most well-known uh, product in the world and they bring out a new phone every every 1 2 years they constantly tweak it to keep up with market demands and and or what they perceive that the need is make it bigger make it smaller i think the next edition must also be foldable because samsung is doing it now so so you will always be looking for feedback on your product and and tweaking it is this how it worked for you fan oh yeah the ugly baby thing my god i relate to it so much because i i think yeah when you're working in a particular idea you inevitably find lots of supporters and people those are the people who are going to be around you because inevitably they like it as well and want to be around you i think yeah getting the feedback from outside your circle is something that's really important so uh, i actually also actively try to go and talk to an investment analyst and i presented my idea to him and that's the one of the first few times i got the the hard messages of you know things that i need to change or things that will not work out it was obviously 
I think first hearing it, the first time you hear it, it's like, oh no, how could you say that? And then eventually, when when you see more and more people telling it, and as Anik mentioned, we start realizing the trend of what people are g- giving based on the responses, and you're like, okay, cool, that sort of makes sense. I guess this is actually what people want, and this is how it would work as well. It, it it is difficult though to sort of break out of your own comfortable circle of people and network that you know, and trying to break out of it and go out outside and trying to ask for an outside outsider's perspective. But I also do agree, it's very, very important that you need to have that all. Probably even constantly as well, because like she said, Apple is all the time improving and changing their phones. And they're considered as the most recognizable, probably brand in the planet right now. So yeah, everyone needs to do it all the time, I believe. Yeah, I would also say, and I think that's quite hard actually for Honigan as well, considering just as you were saying, how small it is. And it's, I think my theory is you're never more than one step away from someone. You meet someone new, they know someone you know. So that's (laughs) very hard to sort of break out of that and get more of an outsider's perspective. And Fat, as a student, I know you you get to meet a lot of people all the time through social things, through Mm. learning, through everything. How did you kind of break out of that zone then to find people you didn't know? Obviously you went to the analyst, but anyone else that gave you some more critical feedback? So I'd like to think that at least within my own personal network, unfortunately, not a lot of people who probably are based in in Groningen, the Netherlands. Um, I approached them with my idea and most of them told me about how, you know, the feasibility of having a fully set up restaurant is not something that necessarily works all the time. You know, you have a lot of running costs that go along with it. So I've always adapted the idea of how I want it to go. And I think right now I sort of have a clearer understanding or picture of how I want it to go. But yeah, I still think it's really difficult to go and talk to someone outside of your circle. It is quite challenging. Again, as Anik mentioned it earlier, one of the biggest struggles for entrepreneurs is to network their own selves because uh, most of the time I think I'm a very sociable person. I can go and talk to people all the time if I have to. I don't need any notes to figure out what I'm saying or what I have to do. But the moment I tell myself, oh, wait, for the business, maybe I should go and talk to those people. I think I get a little nervous. I get a little worried because I'm like, okay, I have to structure how I'm talking to them. So uh, yeah, networking definitely is a challenge, but it's a very, very important thing to do. It, it was through our networks that, you know, we were able to pick up and cater to lots of ma- uh, massive events. I don't know if you remember last year, there was the Raya event where we got to, they had a, it, yeah. it, was the, it was the happiest moment for me in my life because it was essentially a techno rave that was happening and I was feeding all the people over there. It, was the, awesome. uh, it was the ultimate dream for me to see that ever happen because I didn't think Indian food and this would ever come together, but it came together. So that was a really amazing opportunity. And yeah, through my network, I would say I've gotten lots of opportunities like that. After we did that network, uh, that event, someone else at that event came up to us and said, hey, this is a really great job. Do you want to cater to our event? So we managed to do a lot of like events and stuff like that as well, which was pretty cool. I really enjoyed it. That's cool. That's quite yeah. the expansion of the business. I remember that event actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really nice initiative. And then I was also wondering then, so it's obviously grown in certain ways throughout the years that you've started. What's what's the next plan? What's on your agenda? Um, so right now, so being an international and who's not from uh, the European Union, so one of the options that I get because I finished my studies over here is that I get to apply for uh, a job orientation visa, which is called a Zokiar visa. And so I get the option of applying for that. So my plan is to basically uh, apply for that visa, which I'm doing right now. It gives me basically 12 months to work within the Dutch labor market, also free of any restrictions. So no requirements of a work permit, requirements of a minimum uh, salary as well. So that obviously works to my benefits at least for 12 months. And obviously on the side also, I've picked up this job as well to make sure that I'm sustaining myself. And the idea is that like for, for curry me right now, I would like for it to be either a cloud kitchen or a ghost kitchen. That's the term that's usually used for kitchens that only do deliveries or takeaways. 
so again like not investing in the entire space of like having uh, waiting staff or having people to having set up entire seating space and stuff for people as well it's about being just a lot more lean with the resources that you have and being able to produce a lot more the idea behind these ghost kitchens or cloud kitchens is that it's not just one brand that sort of sells from there there can be multiple brands that do sell from the same location so you're essentially increasing the options and variety for people within that particular delivery radius area that you have as well so that's sort of like the goal that I w- I'm working towards and would like to do it I've been doing a lot of research into it like by trying to understand how a lot of other ghost companies and stuff work so for example your flinko gorillas you they're sort of considered as a, a ghost delivery companies very interestingly enough i've been reading up about how in amsterdam lots of flink and gorilla gorillas uh, outlets have been made to shut because people don't like too many bike drivers apparently going zooming up and down the street all the time so yeah i'm, I'm it's interesting to sort of read the data and sort of trying to understand what's happening as well but yeah that's sort of the goal that i'm going for right now yeah i think that's very nice it is an ever changing market for sure and mm-hmm. also when you're of course when you're international and yeah you've to apply for visas and everything it's nice to see where it might go within the next 12 months rather than trying to set up something now and then see it yeah hopefully not fail but yeah, yeah you know what i mean it's nice to like scope yourself out a bit and see how yeah, it goes yeah i think also like with this 12 month visa the good thing is that as i okay cool it's given me a very definitive timeline as well to be like mm-hmm. okay cool now you got 12 months you you have your end date so start working backwards from there as well so it i think it does help a lot with like planning and sort of structuring myself as well it's the same thing you know we I discussed as well with my wife when we decided to move here as well. I said, "No, I got a twelve-month visa, so I might as well try it out. Let's see how it goes, and then we'll figure it out from there as well." So, then my wife's been great. She's been supporting me through all of it, so it's awesome. Is it hard to stay ahead of all of these developments all the time? Because, as you said, you're developing, you're constantly ahead of the game, developing your product, developing your marketing scheme, seeing what's changing for you as a delivery company. What you said is that in the last couple of years, we've seen big changes in the market and how people respond to it is it exhausting to keep all of these uh, balls juggling and all up in the air at the same time i think there is no doubt there's a certain level of exhaustion that i also did feel through it because it felt like things were changing all the time you know especially during covid it, you know we didn't know when lockdowns were going to end we didn't know when we were going to see the 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 clear skies you know if you know what i mean i personally think that like again the one great thing about groningen like if amsterdam is where all the changes are happening imme- immediately groningen is your warm hug you know it's your it's your friend coming and be like hey don't worry about it take a second think about it and go through it if you think it's all right then you should go ahead and do it as well so i think that's like been one of the great things of trying to run my business over here in groningen is that it's been it's it's at a comfortable pace that not things things are not moving too fast for me to not be able to keep up with it as well so yeah I love that you're both saying that this is a good place to be starting a yeah. business. Uh, I I have the the same sort of feeling that even if there are more exciting markets in the world and by exciting I mean, you know, fast moving and uh, new developments all the time, it also makes them seemingly very volatile that mm. you're constantly on the edge of things, keeping up with your ideas, keeping up with the development. But I think this is something that a lot of our listeners might want to to get some feedback on. where do ideas come from how do you evaluate an idea and uh, maybe also give us some examples of ideas that you've seen in the past uh, anik through venture lab and um, good ideas or what are the characteristics of good ideas and all of that well the characteristic of a good idea is that somebody is passionate about it they always say a bad idea with a great entrepreneur could be successful a great idea with a bad entrepreneur will fail 
and and the good and bad in entrepreneurship is is are you passionate about it and are you willing to listen to feedback entrepreneurs are very stubborn and <laughs> and rightfully so you also need to know when to not listen to feedback but generally you have to be coachable you have to be willing to listen to the people who've been through it i've been doing this for seven years so if if somebody doesn't want to hear my feedback I'm like okay then then go out on your own by all means but usually within a year they come back to me and say oh this happens like well yeah that that was predictable but as for the ideas i think most people experience something in their lives that they perceive as a problem and then are looking for for ways to solve it and sometimes solving it is buying a product and other times you realize what i want as a solution doesn't exist and then then you go look for does is it a problem for more people like i said earlier as long as it's a, a problem for more people than just you there is an opportunity for a business and i think that's the most successful way into a business if you think i want to be an entrepreneur and that's why you start a business i think you will fail being the entrepreneur is should never be the end goal you're solving a problem and the only way you can solve it is by starting this business and that is what makes you an entrepreneur and well luckily within the university we have some very entrepreneurial people that sometimes they would love to work on a startup but they have no idea whatsoever but then there's scientists with great ideas who really don't particularly care to start their business around it and if we can match that together then then we're also very happy but then still the people who are going to start the business need to be passionate about the science that they're working with so in the end i think passion is the is the key ingredient do these sort of collaborations happen often people who bring in ideas but not necessarily the entrepreneurial knowledge or um, or interest even and vice versa and you is there an opportunity to to you know find a, a tinder date between these people well it's interesting you should say <laughs> that because it's something that we would like to see happen more we've had great success with it in, in the past but that was more ad hoc that it just happenstance um that businesses were created and and we see that it it works quite well we know there's a lot of science that doesn't necessarily come to market because researchers get paid to publish and teach but we're actually considering ways to to have these kind of tinder date situations where somebody who's interested in in entrepreneurship or working in a startup but hasn't come across the solution that they want to work on and and ideas that are basically let's say on the shelf and trying to match them up uh, successfully because in the end the entrepreneur the would be entrepreneur and the scientist also it needs to be a good match because they're about to have a baby together um <laughs> so th there there needs to be a connection uh in that sense and that uh, so we're we're still experimenting with how can we make this happen on a more regular basis because there's great science in this university that that should see the light of day and are there any easy entry points? I know that VentureLab is hosting a um, um, weekend, an entrepreneurship weekend in uh, in the next month or so. Can you tell us more about this and whom it's for and what they can do with this? Yeah, of course. It's from 18 to 20 November. We host a VentureLab weekend twice a year. We host it in March where it's a general weekend with any type of idea you can come and smell what entrepreneurship is about, get tickled a little bit. In November, it's a health-related weekend, and, and health here is is very, very broad. A healthy living, healthy aging, well-being, all the way to 
hardcore biotech. And what you do there is firstly a weekend where you learn how to pitch an idea, uh, which I think is a skill that is just useful in life, being able to present something in a structured manner. Everybody should learn that, whether it's being pitching yourself or a business idea, it doesn't really matter. Uh, and we work on a business model canvas, which is uh, basically a business plan on A4. So you, so you get to know a little bit about how do you need to think about selling an idea, asking the right questions. And, and what's nice about the Health Weekend is that we actually uh, get the experts from the ecosystem in. You get coaching the whole weekend, you get some expert sessions with IP specialists and uh, business developers and lawyers uh, also around the IP, because especially in, in biotech and medicine, IP is usually involved. And then at the end, you get to pitch uh, in front of uh, some people from the ecosystem who are involved in either investing or in, in the bigger companies in, in health in, in the region. And you, you can actually win money. You can actually win the first tiny seed money for your for your business. And what's nice is you can come with or without an idea. The people with an idea pitch their idea at the beginning of the weekend. And then the rest of the people can say, oh, hey, I like that idea. I want to join your team. And, and what we have seen is that this is actually a very natural way to find your team around you. Because that's also it's very hard to find the people you want to set up a business with. Because that's one thing I would say, don't do it with your best friend. <laughs> if you like your friends, like it, it can work. But if you're going to set up a successful business, it's it's long hours and stressful situations and it can ruin friendships. I mean, I started business with one of my best friends, um, but we're doing the on the side for fun. So not a lot is riding on it and, and we do it over lunch and have fun. But it can be very dangerous because if it all fails, it might be the end of your friendship as well. And that will be sad. But but so this is a very natural way to spend a long weekend with people hang out, see if you can connect a little bit socially and, and if, if you're ready to go. And then after the weekend, if you're really passionate, then we say, come to VentureLab, spend a year with it. If you like us for a weekend, then maybe you'll like us for a year and the rest of your life. I was also just wondering a bit about the demographic of VentureLab. You know, what on average is the, so the age? Is there many internationals as well also involved? Just out of interest as well, because as you said, it, uh, Fad, it's difficult sometimes as an international. I know even just me trying to sort out my own health insurance, there's a lot of documents in Dutch I have to try and figure out and things. So yeah, I'm just, I'm just wondering. Um, from the very beginning, uh, we have said everything in VentureLab is in English because mm -hmm. we want to be available for anybody. We do have a quite high percentage of percentage of internationals actually because indeed it is harder as an international i mean everybody in the netherlands speaks english but still there is that extra hurdle so from the very beginning we, we were actually for a long time the only program in Groningen that also had evenings uh, with english speakers so we find that very important i would say our population is majority student so we have more students than researchers or, or people from the outside so i i would say the average age is probably 24 because it's usually slightly older students so first years generally not which i also like if you're really passionate you're welcome but i wouldn't advise because also with the all the regulations about the, the amount of uh, ects you have to get you know we we do not want you to fail out of university <laughs> please do get your degree but uh, yeah we have we have a lot of students on the total student body it's nothing because we we have anywhere between 25 to 60 entrepreneurs per year on you know thousands of students but 
on our total population, the percentage is quite high. That's nice. And I was wondering, is there any particular, is it uh, students that maybe study business or is there any particular degree uh, program that maybe they join Venture Lab? Is it, they're more prone to join Venture Lab is what I'm trying to say, or is it just everyone in general? Because personally, in my degree, I've never heard about it. And I'm just wondering, is that because they just don't promote it or something among? I, th I think actually, ironically, the, m the highest percentage of students we get is from medicine, which is arguably the hardest degree <laughs> to do <laughs> to alongside do starting your well. business, yeah. uh, especially further down the line. I'm not sure why medicine students are more entrepreneurial than other students. Getting to know about Venture Lab is hard. It's something we're working on to be more known. But it's also in part because students not always read their student email particularly well. In the past, we would send an annual email with all the entrepreneurial possibilities for students. And every student got it for six years straight. And then still students would be like, I've never heard of you. I, I didn't know there was this course or uh, this degree that we could do. And we're like, well... That's okay. Marketing but, is one of the hardest things yeah, in a, yeah, in a business, right? Absolutely. Getting yeah, your yeah. name out, becoming known, spreading the word. I hope that uh, we can do a little bit for Venture Lab with this podcast. Yeah, Do as we say, don't do as we do necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> so I think we're coming to a good point now where um, we've covered most of the topics we wanted to discuss today, I think. So on a closing note, um, I just wanted to ask you both, what would you have done differently? So Fad, what would you have done differently in the making of Curry Me? Okay, that's an interesting question. I personally am not the type of person who sits and regrets my past decisions because I believe I've either did something right or I learned from it. So I, I don't think that I would have done anything differently. Maybe there's a part of me that would have, that would like to tell myself that, oh, you know, maybe you could have done a lot more with the time that you had. Maybe you could have tried to achieve a little bit more. But I also keep trying to remind myself that um, I think... I work to the best of my abilities and it's important also not to sit and worry about things in the past too much. So if I could possibly tell any other person who's trying to start their own business, uh, the best thing was to do is to give yourself the time, give yourself the space, make sure that you're allowing yourself to make the mistakes and to learn from it and just be patient. If you, as an equal to mention, if you're passionate about your idea enough, uh, trust me, things will start working for you. It, 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 you. You might not necessarily see the path ahead of you, but that doesn't mean there isn't a path. So you should just take it easy. Don't worry. If you're passionate about it, things will work out. So. And Anik, um, is there any sort of majority advice that you give to students starting out or anything that you often give feedback on, for example, that does help them to yeah, get further along in their initiative? Well, to steal from Nike, just do it. <laughs> you can think about it forever. And, and ponder all the risks and, and problems you will encounter on the way, you will encounter problems. So don't worry about them before they happen. Just, just go do it. Um, start small, take little steps, but dream big. So if you think you're going to conquer the world, that's fine. Then work backwards. And, and the first step is going to be very, very small. If you have an idea, talk to one person about it and then talk to another one and then just go do it. But don't be shy. And that's also, if looking back, I really like what Fad said. Don't don't have regrets. If if you don't try, you're definitely not going to succeed. And uh, whatever you do, it will get you to the next step. If you're going to fail, that's a that's a learning moment for you, and that's fine. And well, 
if students listening to this are now like, I really would like to start, the best way to get into any network is come talk to me. Even if the Venture Lab program is not for you, just come talk to me. Then you've already talked to the one person. And, and I'm not scary. I don't bite. And my door is always open. So students should just, just knock on my door. Well, I think that's really great advice. Uh, speaking personally, I know that the idea of, of trying to put my own ideas out there to the test and starting a business is, is terrifying. It's very intimidating. So any way in which we can um, uh, allow students and staff to overcome these, these initial difficulties with Venture Lab, with the weekend, and we're going to link to all of this, all of this in the description, is, is, uh, is really wonderful. You've been listening to Degrees of Freedom. This was the second episode of this series with, um, with Amy O'Connell as uh, co-host. It's been a very interesting discussion. I'm really grateful for um, Anik Awendach and um, Fad Raish. I hope this was uh, inspiring to our to our listeners to think about giving a little bit more love to their ideas and perhaps nurturing them to become businesses or to have some kind of influence in the world out there. I just have to agree. It's been very inspiring. Um, I've learned a lot. Um, I'm now feeling like I want to start a business almost, even though I'm, I'm not sure what issue I can possibly solve first to s start off. But it's been very interesting to get to know um, about Venture Lab, about Fad's experience, considering I've known you for three years, I didn't fully know the whole story. So that's nice to officially know now. And with Venture Lab as well, I think it's really nice to be able to hopefully promote this to students who have an idea and who just need somewhere to start off and to give themselves the confidence and the boost to do so. So, yes, thank you very much for joining. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having us. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in today. Uh, we look forward to seeing you in the next episode. This podcast was a production of the University of Groningen.